I'm guessing we all still have babies on our mind. After all, we've just spent weeks leading up to Christmas getting ready for the arrival of baby Jesus. But as we know, babies grow, and Jesus was no exception. So today we will be looking at Jesus as he grew into his calling and how we respond to grow into our calling to do the work of Christmas as well. It's intriguing to get a glimpse into the boyhood of Jesus with the story from Luke that we heard Pastor Janet read. During Advent, we learn all about the events leading up to Jesus' birth. On Christmas Eve, we focus on the coming of the baby King Jesus. And we love all the hymns and the worship songs that we sing that proclaim the truth of God come down among us. We delight in those magnificent scriptures that talk about that. And we just th thrill to the beauty and the mystery of this amazing thing that our God has done. But after that, we don't always focus on the next things that happen in the life of Jesus. Sometimes we do, and this morning we will. Our scripture readings that we had today come from the lectionary readings for the day. The lectionary, if you don't know, is a three-year cycle of scripture lessons that's available for all Christian churches to use, Christians from all over the world. So today, our readings about Samuel serving in the temple and about Jesus among the teachers in the temple courts come from the lectionary uh, readings and are the lessons, the very same ones that Christians all over the world are hearing in their worship services today. Now, everyone here this morning, everyone online, either is a kid or has been a kid. So most of us know what it is like to be 12 years old, the same age that Jesus is in our scripture reading this morning. My husband Guy and I were blessed with three children, two of them sons, so we know firsthand what it is like to raise 12-year-old boys. And let me tell you, it is not for the weak of heart. You know the kinds of situations that 12-year-old boys get themselves into. They sneak cigarettes from who knows where, and they go out to the barn and try smoking them with their friends. Or they take their bicycles and they ride down the bike path on Lycoming Creek Road, and when they get to the bridge that goes across the bike path, they climb all the way to the top to the very, very top, and jump way off down into the waters below. My boys really did that. I'm glad I did not find out about it until after uh, they, they had actually done it and lived to tell the tale because, or didn't tell the tale, I found out some other way. But, <clears throat> but uh, it did almost give me a heart attack when I realized they had jumped off that bridge. So we can imagine how Mary and Joseph were feeling when they traveled a whole day out from Jerusalem before they realized that Jesus was still back there. So when they got back to Jerusalem, they finally found him after three days. I don't suppose many of us here have lost one of our children for three whole days. So I believe that Luke likely is just giving us a summary of what Mary actually said to Jesus when they found him in the temple courts. 
Luke writes, his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I bet you anything. Now, I know United Methodists don't bet, but 10 to 1, Mary said much more than that. We can kind of imagine the kinds of things that Mary said to Jesus, maybe not right there in the temple courts with the teachers watching, but at least later on the way home. Jesus, do you realize we haven't seen you for three days and nights? We have not slept a wink at night for the anxiety worrying about you. Where have you been staying? Surely you know you can't trust everybody you meet. You're only 12 years old. We need you to be with people that we know and that we trust. Someone might have kidnapped you or killed you, and we would never have known what happened to you. Where did you get the money for food? Have you been eating anything at all? I don't know, Jesus. I never would have thought this of you. You've never given us trouble like this before. Those are the things that I imagine she said. But I am glad for today's choice of scripture because we do have a chance to focus on Jesus as a boy and how he grew. I've always enjoyed learning about people from other times and other places and what their lives were like. And so I've wondered, what was it like for Jesus growing up in Nazareth? What do we know about Jesus' childhood? Here's what we know. When Jesus was eight days old, he was taken by Mary and Joseph to be circumcised, and that is when he was given the name Jesus. Then, when he was six weeks old, his parents, Mary and Joseph, took him to the temple in Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord in obedience to the law of Moses. There was a ceremony called the Redemption of the Firstborn, where Mary and Joseph would have paid five shekels to the priests. Mary and Joseph also offered two pigeons to the Lord. Couples who could afford it would sacrifice a lamb. But the poor were permitted to offer a sacrifice of two birds instead. While Jesus and his parents were at the temple, they met a godly man named Simeon. Now, Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit to be present in the temple on that very day. And Simeon uh, was a godly man who got to hold baby Jesus in his arms and praise God for getting to see God's salvation. An elderly prophetess by the name of Anna, who worshipped day and night in the temple, was there as well. And Anna was overjoyed to meet the baby Jesus, and she gave thanks to God for the redemption of Jerusalem. And as she did that, others learned about this special baby as a result of Anna's witness. At some point after that, Jesus would have been anywhere between six months and 20 months old. The wise men came from the east to see Jesus, and they asked, we read in Matthew chapter 2, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. As you may remember, Herod the Great did not like the sound of a baby king at all. 
He got the information for the wise men that they wanted, and he told them to go to Bethlehem, since prophecy foretold that's where the leader, the shepherd of Israel, would come from. Herod told the wise men to go find the child and then to plan to come back and tell him so he could tell, so he could also worship the baby king. The wise men worshipped Jesus and they gave him gifts, but then they were warned by a dream not to go back to Herod. An angel also warned Joseph in a dream to get out of there and take the child and his mother and go to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill him. So Joseph roused the family in the middle of the night and they set off at once for the 75-mile trip to Egypt. We don't know how long, but Jesus and his parents were refugees in Egypt. After Herod the Great died, an angel once again appeared to Joseph in a dream and said it was safe to go back to Israel. So Joseph settled his family in the town of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. And that's all we know about Jesus' childhood until today's reading about Jesus in the temple at age 12. We all wish that scripture told us more, don't we? We'd love to hear more stories. But we can draw some inferences from other scriptures and from the times in which Jesus lived. When Jesus was little at home with Mary, he would have gone along with her as she took her jug to go and fetch water from the well every single day. Their home was likely a small square building made out of mud bricks that would have been whitewashed on the outside. It would have had small uh, wood stools, simple uh, wooden, wooden furniture, such as a low wooden table, and there would be mats on the floor for sleeping. Then outside, there'd be a ladder heading up to the roof. And then on fine days, Jesus and Mary would be up there spending time and getting chores done up there. When Jesus got old enough, of course, he learned carpentry from Joseph. And much of his other education would have been at home as well and with a scribe in the local synagogue school in Nazareth. There, Jesus would have learned Hebrew because Hebrew was not the everyday language that Jesus spoke at home with Mary and Joseph. They spoke the language Aramaic. And Jesus may have spoken Greek as well, because many people in Galilee did speak Greek. We know from the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus had four brothers, whose names were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude for short. The boys had more than one sister too, though it is not mentioned in scripture how many girls there were, uh, nor do we know their names. But we do know, of course, that Jesus was a big brother. I wonder what the family talked about when they were together. Do you suppose that some of Jesus' earliest childhood memories were from Egypt when they were refugees there? Can you picture Jesus at home with his family hearing stories about the harrowing, harrowing trip to Egypt and the, maybe stories of their time there while, and how they worshipped and how they lived while they were in Egypt? Maybe Jesus would say, oh, I remember that part. Let me tell that part of the story. Something we do know 
about James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, was eventually they came to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In fact, the New Testament epistle, the letter of James, is written by Jesus' brother James, as is the epistle of Jude, written by Jude, Jesus' brother. Nazareth, when Jesus lived there, was a town of anywhere from 400 people to 2,000 people. The archaeologists are not quite able to agree on how many people lived there during that era. But it's not a huge place by any means. Still, it's not just a sleepy little town either. There would have been farms all around the community. And when Jesus was a boy, likely his friends would have been the children of farmers. We can hear in Jesus' parables that we think of um, echoes of those everyday scenes that Jesus saw growing up in Nazareth. Climbing around in the hills around Nazareth with his brothers and his friends, on a very clear day, Jesus would be able to see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, 20 miles away. This picture, if you look carefully, you can just make out the sea all the way in the background. Jesus would have seen the uh, tips of the sailing ships sailing to all parts of the world there. In the distance, Jesus could see Mount Tabor, and also Jesus could see one of the great roads of the ancient world called the Way of the Sea as it wound its way along the coast below. That was the road that centuries before, Joseph, the son of Jacob, would have been traveling down after he had been sold into slavery by his brothers on his way to Egypt. And I imagine that Jesus probably thought about that as he gazed down the road as well. One of the things that Jesus would have looked forward to all during his childhood would be his first Passover in Jerusalem at age 12. It would be a very special time for any boy, but think what it would mean to Jesus you may remember that Passover commemorates God's deliverance of God's people, the Jews, from Egypt. The Passover festival lasted seven days, and it was after those seven days that Jesus had stayed behind to learn from the teachers in the temple courts. One day, Jesus, too, will be a teacher. At this point, he asked a lot of questions. What questions did he ask? Perhaps this teaching time just after Passover was the beginning of Jesus' understanding that he, one day, would be the Passover lamb sent to save us from our sins. It's no wonder that Jesus lost track of time and forgot all about what his parents were doing. At age 12, Jesus was now claiming for himself a very special relationship with God. Up to this point, all the signs of who Jesus is have been seen through others, and we've been hearing all about that uh, all th during our sermon series that we had called, uh, um, Does It Sound Like a Merry Christmas to You? We've heard about God's plans for Jesus through the angels, through Zechariah and Elizabeth, through Mary and Joseph, through the shepherds, through the angels, and through the prophecies, as we heard today, the prophecies of Simeon and Anna. But now, at age 12, Jesus is confirming his own relationship to God. And that 
is the model for confirmation that, that we use in the United Methodist Church <clears throat> because confirmation for the young people in our church takes place at about the same age as when Jesus was cons confirming his own faith in, in the temple. So it's always, always a very exciting time in the life of our church. And as Pastor Janet mentioned in the announcements, next week during this worship service, a number of our young people will stand up and confirm their faith, confirm their baptism as they make their own personal confession in Christ with their personal vows before the congregation. The youth who are confirming their faith have been preparing for this for months with their leader Josh and their other leaders. They will be confirming their faith here in this hugely important step that they are taking. The congregation will promise to support and encourage them in their Christian life as they continue to grow in their faith. Even Jesus himself needed to grow with the support of others. Our scripture reading this morning tells us that when Jesus went home to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph, after they found him in the temple, that Jesus was obedient to his parents. And we heard that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and others. We know that Jesus is our example. Don't we also need to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man? Let's consider growing in wisdom. The best way to grow in wisdom is through reading and meditating on God's word. Wisdom isn't just acquiring more knowledge. It's allowing the knowledge of scripture to shape our character and to apply that knowledge so we can become transformed in Jesus Christ. If you are already part of a small group, you know how much you grow through your personal daily Bible study and weekly discussion in the group. You grow in wisdom not only through what God has taught you personally throughout the week, but also through what God has revealed to others in their study. This follows the pattern that we are seeing in the scripture this morning of Jesus digging deep into the scriptures with the wise men, or I'm sorry, with the teachers in the temple. We encourage everyone here to be part of a small group Starting next week, we'll be focusing for several weeks on the book of Ephesians, both in worship and at many of the small groups. And so it's a great time to get connected into a group if you are not yet part of one. Another opportunity for growing in wisdom is through a daily Bible reading plan. Now, one of you had contacted me out of concern when we did those journey markers, you may remember, from several months ago, we discovered that a lot of us are not reading our Bibles every single day. So Pastor Janet and I were discussing how to help people get into the habit of reading their Bible daily. Pastor Janet came up with a great idea. See, she suggested that we ask the church office volunteers if they will turn the readings from the Disciple Bible Study Program into a 365-day reading plan, and we will have that available at worship next week. Wouldn't it be powerful to have the whole church reading the same scripture every day for an entire year? The Disciple Bible Study readings don't cover every word of the Bible, but they do give a wonderful summary of God's story and God's plan of redemption for you and for the whole world. 
Studying scripture is one way that we can grow in wisdom. We can also pray to God about our need for wisdom. The New Testament book of James, and remember that was written by Jesus' brother James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives to all generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we see that God desires to give wisdom to all who seek it. We can never arrive and say, oh, that's enough, God, no thanks, I don't need any more wisdom. No. You may know that one of my pastoral privileges is that I get to go and visit all of our homebound members. I remember a dear soul who lived to be 101 years old, and even on her deathbed, she was still seeking to grow in wisdom. She was asking me questions about what heaven would be like. What a testimony for the rest of us to keep on growing in wisdom. Next, we learn that Jesus grew in stature. If we're already full grown, we don't need to grow taller, but all of us do need to be growing into maturity as members of the body of Christ. Here's a taste from the book of Ephesians that we're starting next Sunday. One of the things we will learn about is maturing as we serve and grow in unity. From Ephesians 4, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We want to attain that fullness in Christ. And maturity in Christ doesn't mean being stodgy and serious all the time. Serving as we grow in maturity and unity with other members of the body of Christ is rewarding. And it can be lots of fun, too. Do you just check out the folks at first night here some week and you see how they enjoy serving God together? As we consider the ways Jesus grew and how they apply to us, I find it interesting that even Jesus grew in favor with God. How do we follow Jesus' model to grow in favor with God? I believe that Scripture gives us a big part of the answer in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus has shown us what is good. He is our model for justice, for mercy, and for humility. Are we willing to take risks to follow Jesus in these areas? Will we take a stand for justice on behalf of the oppressed? Will we speak up for the innocent souls who are being trafficked? Will we be a voice for those who have no voice? God has poured out God's mercy in sending Jesus to be our Savior from sin. Where is God calling you? Where is God calling me to be showing mercy today and this week? God calls us to be countercultural as we grow in favor with God. Instead of embracing the ways of the world with its focus on self, will we seek to grow in humility instead? As we've seen, Jesus grew in all ways. 
Jesus grew from an inquisitive 12-year-old boy to a man, our Lord, ready to fulfill God's call to save the world from the power of sin and death. Each of us can grow into the calling God has on our lives too. My own mischievous sons grew from the daredevil boys I told you about to fine men that use well the gifts that God has given them. As we head into a new year, may we look forward to it as an opportunity to grow more like Jesus as we follow his lead in growing in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and others. Amen.